this week on The Inswinger. And I struggle to count them out because I just think that going off of what we've seen from him in the past, they will hit their stride. It's probably the hardest place in the league to go. I mean, we saw what they yeah. did to City. They were getting into good areas, but they just weren't finishing. Since Emery has been brought in, you're really seeing all the rewards of that money spent, and boy, it's impressive to watch. All right, good afternoon. Welcome back to the Inswinger Podcast, Season 3, Episode 13. I'm Charlie DiMatteo, joined by Harrison McGlashan. We had a wild week of Premier League fixtures. There were some crazy midweek fixtures. We had some big clashes at the top of the table this past weekend. We're going to focus on all of those games. We're going to get into a ton of teams and see what has changed, maybe for the better or worse, over the last kind of 10 days. It's yeah. kind of been a, a transformative 10 days in the table. Uh, so we're going to get into all of that. We're going to start at the top of the Premier League table, make our way down to some of the Teams maybe you shouldn't really be down there, but they are yeah. down there. Uh, and Harrison's team in Everton. We'll get to Chelsea, United, everything. We're going to get to everything, but we're going to start with Liverpool. The comeback kings, it seems like. First, it was Fulham last weekend, and this weekend it was... Who did they come back against? They Palace? Came back against Palace. Or were they one up? Um, and then it was 1-1, one, one, or were they 1-0 no, down? No, they were 1-0 down. Uh, yeah, and then the early Palace got sent... Uh, Palace Man sent off Ayu, second yellow card, mm. foolish, and Liverpool scored like a minute after that, and then like a minute into stoppage time, uh, Harvey Elliott scored the winner. So Liverpool sit atop the Premier League table right now, so for all we've been talking about Arsenal and City, even Tottenham and Villa, it's been Liverpool who we've questioned at times if they have the personnel this time around, but... One thing is, I think the mentality is there for Liverpool to make a title charge. What do you think, Harrison? Yeah, listen, I mean, it's a three-horse race at the moment for me, and, and they're in it. I mean, I am concerned about the, the Matip injury now, especially because I think they are a bit suspect defensively at times. I think it's a lot of pressure on Van Dyke this season with, with no Fabinho and Henderson there. You know, you know it's a different uh, Liverpool midfield, which we've discussed on previous episodes, so... I think that's something to keep in mind is defensive depth um, and also the way they're set up now with Trent inverting. So, listen, it's interesting. Uh, I think they haven't been, um, for me, the most convincing when you look at it over the course of the season and even that Palace result. Like, they got it done, but they got it done late. But when you look at the other teams, City and Arsenal, they haven't exactly been the most convincing yeah. either. So, I mean, you know, you have to say they deserve to be there. They've been excellent um, in in you know at the opposite end of the pitch uh, going forward we know the firepower they have so yeah they're in the race and you know I don't think I'll be eating my words at the end of the season you know because I you know I think I've been saying pretty consistently that I just don't think they have it uh, the personnel to really challenge or I think they'll challenge I just don't think they'll win it this season uh, just because of the way they're set up and I think they will leak a few too many goals but man i mean they they they're certainly in the race and they certainly you're right have the mentality they, a lot of those players have been there done that and they look like they're up for it even the new guys like sabazlai who's you know hungary's captain just you could tell they they look up for this challenge um i don't think they'll go over the line i still you know i won't change my opinion there but man i mean when you look at what they're doing when you look at what the other two teams are doing when you look at what villa are doing even i mean it's really anyone's game at the moment yeah, I want to touch on what you said there in that, I mean, none of these teams who are leading the Premier League right now 
week in, week out are convincing. And I think that goes against what we have said about what a title challenger should look like. You know, we've said, you know, to be a city, to be an Arsenal, you have to steamroll the competition. It has to be convincing each and every week because that's just the only way you accumulate enough points. But this season... We're seeing Arsenal not be fully convincing. Nick games late on. We're seeing Liverpool do it. We're seeing City struggle. I mean, if anything, Villa have looked like one of the more convincing teams with their record at home. So now you look at Liverpool, and if the title is not going to be won on sheer just consistency and firepower and defensive stability, and it's going to come down to moments like this, and it's going to be more of a mentality game, I actually fancy Klopp and Liverpool to have a better chance at doing that than, let's say, the climate of the Premier League last season when it was so just week in, week out. You knew it was Arsenal, City, had to get the win, had to get the three points, had to be clean. I don't think that's the case this year, and I think that suits Liverpool. Um, So a really interesting development, I think, Um, and we'll see what happens with Klopp and his team because you're getting contributions from lots of different players. You know, Harvey Elliott off the bench as a super sub, great you know Salah is still scoring goals at a great clip um Saba's live we've liked what we've seen from him I think Trent's new role we're seeing Trent as free as he he's being given as much freedom as we've ever seen I think that will lead to some defensive lapses I do but I also think you're seeing the best of Trent and why so many people for so long have said you know he could be a midfielder because he's just so apt creative uh, creatively and he can just unlock a defense with a single pass and it's moments and he can create moments to to win games so Liverpool in a very interesting position all right moving on to Arsenal Uh, they had a couple crazy games this week first it was loot in a way tricky fixture they went up they went behind it was back and forth and Declan Rice in the 96th minute uh, with a header off of a free kick or maybe it was a corner I'm not sure Uh, yeah to, to win them the game they went nuts. Arteta got a yellow card, and so he was had a touchline ban for the Villa game. We were expecting a cracker at Villa Park. I think it was a good game. Yeah. But Arsenal fell to Villa. What is this? What do you, what what are the takeaways from this week from Arsenal? Because on the one hand, you have a really gritty performance, getting a win at Luton late on, and then you have a defeat against what is essentially now at the minimum a top four contender, but maybe even a title contender in Villa. Yeah, I mean, we've seen Arsenal win ugly this season, even last season. So that that Luton result didn't didn't surprise me, especially the way Luton are really, uh, you know, really challenging teams. You know, in the last last couple of weeks, now they they should beat Luton. I don't I don't care what the circumstances are; they should get that done, and and, and they did. And I think Declan Rice, by the way, like I think he's been Arsenal's player of the season. Yeah. I think he's been absolutely sensational in, in every game I've watched them. He, he's he's been a standout. Um, the Villa result wouldn't actually concern me loads if I'm an Arsenal fan. It, it sort of reminded me of, of their result at Newcastle away, where they lost that one, where it, it's probably the hardest place in the league to go right now. I mean, we saw what they yep. did to City, which maybe we can touch on. Um, they did create some chances, but you know, I think the takeaway there was it, it looked like they just lacked that cutting edge in the final third, mm. and that and that is maybe a theme we're starting to see, like you know. People have questioned whether Jesus and Enketia can get you the goals to win the league. And we know what Jesus does on and off the ball that affects this team. And I think he's so uh, valuable and, and crucial to the way they, they play. And, you know, they're, they're pressing and his movement is, is, is fantastic. But we know he isn't the most clinical Prolific. finisher. Yeah. So then you have to look at the other three guys, Martinelli, Saka, and Odegaard. And I think Odegaard has taken uh, a slight step back this season in terms of his uh, his offensive output in, in terms of goals, right? I mean, that's 
that's obvious. We know he's a fantastic player, but I just feel like, you know, the chances he had in that Villa game, well, I think one or two times, maybe last season he puts those in, right? Yeah. So, so I think you have to, if Jesus isn't the main goal scorer in this team, then it's got to be on the other guys. And maybe they're just not quite at it uh, at this moment in time. And we're really waiting for them to to get going. And, and you know, do they bring in – everybody's talking about do they need a striker? They, do they bring in a different profile of number nine maybe maybe in January? I think that's something that, that might be looked at. But I have a feeling it, it may not be till this summer till, till they go for that type of player. But I, I do think they need it, by the way. I think – I think just having a different option, whether it's a starter or someone off the bench who is just a different profile, who can give you something different, because I think Arsenal, you know, maybe aren't as free-flowing and exciting to watch as they were last season, but they are more physical, and, and, and they can really compete physically with any team, so maybe they need a big center forward who can, they can mm-hmm. just, you know, they can get that style of goal that, that Rice got against Luton yeah. and just, and just whip, start to whip balls in and go to plan B and right. win in different yeah. ways. I, I think that's the big point here. I think Arsenal need a plan B because last season they were so free-flowing. The goals were coming from everywhere, and Saka and Martinelli and Odegaard were all chipping in with like 10 or so goals, and when you have that, you don't need a 30-goal striker because you're getting that production from three players. Jesus is important because he allows the other guys space to move and interchange. But when he's not producing, there's an imbalance there. And part of this comes back to the midfield. And I hate to harp on this because I think Kai Havertz has actually been playing pretty well. I thought he yeah. had one of his better games against Villa. He's been getting on the, on the goal sheet. Yeah. But... When you play a guy like Havertz who doesn't really have a position, he doesn't track back a ton, he kind of makes late runs into the box, I don't know if that takes away from Odegaard's game or not, but Odegaard has not been producing the way he did last season. I think he had a really poor game against Villa. I think he had two or three big chances he should have scored, and when you're not taking those chances and then guys like Saka and Martinelli don't look as dangerous as they always do— you don't score against a good defensive team away at Villa Park. That's what's going to happen. So like you said, when it's a day like that, because I don't think Arteta's main plan, his plan A will ever be to get crosses into a big number nine. And no. even with a guy like Tony, for example, someone that they could sign, I don't think it'll ever be like that. It will be playing on the ground, looking for the passes to create a chance. But I do think there is a clear need for a plan B that Arteta's not quite at right now and I think that could be partially down to the personnel because the way these players were brought in the way they were developed and the way we looked at them and said wow look at all this progression it was in this style so to say we need you to play another style is asking a lot but that's how you win a Premier League you have to win games in different ways Mm -hmm. and it just was apparent they could have been they could have been out there for a while at Villa Park it just didn't look like they were scoring because they were getting into good areas, but they just weren't finishing, and they didn't have that cutting edge. It was one touch too many or one dribble too many or one second taken too long, and something was not right. And when you bring Trossard and Kethia off the bench and Nelson, they're all kind of like smaller, nifty little players that have quality, but don't necessarily, like you said, have the ability physically to impose against a Pau Torres or a Diego Carlos, because Carlos, it seemed like those two center backs were happy to just leave the players in front of them and then match their pace and match their positioning to deny them an opportunity to score and Arsenal didn't have an answer. Yeah, so. I mean I think it's also important and and we'll get onto them. I mean, you look at City over the last few years and how they've evolved and become a more physical team. And I think Arsenal have become a more physical team this season. 
and it just it just harps on the point, right? You have to learn how to win in different ways. City have so many weapons that can hurt you. It's not just Holland, you know. It's Alvarez. It, they just have different options in for for different sorts of games, yeah. and they it can they can beat you so many ways. Even even Villa, they they beat Arsenal. Yeah, let's get into Villa in a, in, a, in one way, and they beat City in another way. I thought I thought they were brilliant in in both in in totally different ways. Yeah, so let's get into Villa. They had a huge week. They just took down arguably the two best teams in the country at home. Uh, with a win over City on Wednesday, I believe it was, and then a win yesterday on Sunday against Arsenal. I mean, I think we all expected Villa to have a strong season. I don't think we expected it to be this strong. Is that fair to say? Yeah, listen, I mean, they're they're absolutely flying. I thought that City performance, I mean, I haven't seen a team, I haven't seen City look second best mm. in, I, I can't even remember the last time. They they took the game to them, which is which was brave. And and it worked. I mean, Unai Emery is, is the manager of the season right now. No no question for me. Villa's progression under him has just been r- remarkable. So I, I don't think anyone had them in the in the top four at the start of the season, especially after that uh, spanking they got at St James's Park first day of the yeah. season. But uh, I think, like I said a couple of minutes ago, they can win in different ways. You know, the City game. Uh, they they took the game to them. They were comfortably the better team. They created chances. They they pressed. They held the high line again, and they had the momentum for for most of the game. And they and they were deserved winners against Arsenal. They scored a great team goal early. McGinn again, fantastic. Loved love his post match interviews. By the way, just seems like a great guy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, they did absorb more pressure, and and they sort of won ugly. If you know, and while still posing a, a huge threat on the break with. With Watkins and and Bailey, who's who's hit a bit of form and, and looks really really sharp, so I think it's important to point out how tactically flexible Emery is. He can beat you in in different ways. The high line caught Arsenal out. I thought it was a stroke of genius. I, they they just you know the off the offsides they 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 caught him out. I mean Arsenal have have pace and it was it was just the right move. I mean that's how you play a high line. Yeah. It was textbook from from Emery. Against City, they had 22 shots, seven on target. I mean, they battered them. They absolutely yeah. battered them. City had two shots on target. Uh, they just didn't let them have anything. It was it was really impressive. And, and like I said, against Arsenal, they showed their their resiliency and and defensive resiliency to to keep them out. I mean, Arsenal did score, but it was a, it was a handball, and that's you know that's the rule. I'm sure I'll, Arteta will be frustrated, mm. but um, that that is the rule in the modern game. So. Listen, they, they deserve the win both those games uh, in, in, in different ways. And just their, I mean, Villa Park right now it's is fortress. absolutely bouncing. It's it's probably the toughest place to go in the league for me. I mean, it's just sensational. So top four is on, man. It's yeah. on for Villa. Yeah, this Villa team, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful here, it reminds me of those two Leicester teams in, what was it, 1920, then 20 and 21, where they were up there for a large part of the season. I think Villa are better than them, so I think there is a, a better chance Villa finished in the top four than those Leicester teams did. But I remember having similar conversations about Leicester and being like, oh, could they be titled? I feel like that's the conversation we're having about Villa because, like even with Tottenham, they just don't have the depth and quality to compete, I think, over 38 games. You yep. know, we're not even halfway through this season, and they have it's European football, and they're going to want to win that conference league, which... They should. They should. If West Ham yeah. won the Conference League last year, you know, Villa should win it. So they want silverware. I'm sure that will come into consideration late in the season. But just briefly back on Emery, I think the job Emery has done 
has been nothing short of remarkable in the way he has transformed this group of players. You know, we look at a team like Newcastle, who under Eddie Howe has really changed, and you can see clear player improvement. That's what impresses me most about certain managers. Like, can you take a crop of players that were underperforming under a previous manager and get them playing not only better, but in your style? And that's and what he's done. Well, he's done it. Yeah, and yeah. done it too. I mean, you look at the players Villa have. Some of these guys have been around since they were in relegation battles. I remember when they first got promoted, like, McGinn and Douglas Louise was their midfield too. Yep. Those guys have completely taken their game to another level, which has to, credit has to go to them, but credit also has to go to Emery. And the likes of Ollie Watkins, also unbelievable strides this year. Leon Bailey finally staying fit and coming good. It's just been remarkable. And you've got Emmy Martinez in net, who's maybe one of the best goalies in the world. And... Villa had spent a lot of money and were kind of in the same boat as an Everton, a West Ham, kind of not really performing as well as they should have with the money spent. Now, since Emery has been brought in, you're really seeing all the rewards of that money spent. And boy, it's impressive to watch. And uh, you can't help just but admire the scene at Villa Park at during midweek and, and yesterday against uh, Arsenal. Just, I mean, what an atmosphere there. Um We got to get there. We got to get yeah. to Villa Park. That's where we got to go. Um, but credit to Villa. But uh, I want to move on to Man City. Uh, Man City sit fourth in the table, four points behind Liverpool. Uh, they're on 33 points. And City fell to Villa at midweek, able to bounce back away at Luton. They, they were down 1-0, but they came back. Goals from Foden and Bernardo Silva to squeak by 2-1. City are a bit of an interesting one this year because Pep is fiery as ever in his press conferences it almost feels like with these charges and with the De Bruyne injury and all this he's just a bit more hostile in the way he's handling things and I don't think City are as cool calm and collected as they have been in recent years do you get that vibe and if not what is the vibe mm. you're getting from this City team yeah it's a bit of like us against the world yeah. isn't it you know with the with the with the pops that Pep's had at, uh, you know, some of the media, like Gary Neville and Carragher and <laughs> poor Micah Richards, who was like an Man City legend, for, like what? For yeah. City, and he's like, well, you haven't won four in a row, and you haven't even won one, and you yeah. were, you know. So, yeah, you're right. Hostile is a good word to, to describe him at the moment. I think, I think what we're seeing is a bit of treble hangover, mm. perhaps. I think it's, I think what Gary Neville has said after United won the treble that that team he was in they were they were poor the next season you know they, it was it was one of their uh, I don't know if they still won the league but you know they got like 70 points right. or something like that right so there there was a drop off because you know it's so hard mentally to to go again after after achieving uh, achieving absolute you know euphoria in in the sport I mean you literally can't top uh that achievement right so to go again with the same mentality and energy, you know, is is difficult. So I, I think it's important to note that as a as a possibility. Now, <laughs> the thing with City is you just can never write them off because they tend to play their best football, um, you know, from from sort of January onwards. And and I and I struggle to uh, count them out because I just think that. Going off of what we've seen from him in the past, they will hit their stride at some point this season. Whether it's when De Bruyne comes back, uh, or or just you know they they get a rest after an international break or something and they come back firing. I don't know when it'll be, but uh, I'm not going to predict them to to continue to drop off because they're just too good. 
and they are mentality monsters. Like we spoke about Liverpool City have that in them. Yeah. Uh, of course they do. Look what they've won. I know there's new players in there, but um, I think, I think yeah, may, may, I think it could be a number of factors, right? Treble hangover, uh, fatigue, um, you know, people have mentioned complacency. I'm not quite sure uh, that's it. And and Pep was was obviously upset at those at those comments because, you know, it just I don't know I just those players what I've seen from them previously, I struggle to to use that that word to describe them because they are so good and they are like I said mentality monsters and you know maybe just it is a bit of 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 hangover from from last season which was which was an absolute incredible achievement, um, I think against Villa. They they were humbled and, and bullied, and I think that will I think they will slowly maybe but surely over the next few weeks get back to to the the, the form that that we know and and the and the physicality. I think that'll give them uh, a kick in the butt really that that Villa result. I think now they're like okay it's it's yeah. on. I, I I think I think you have to. I think they've that sort of poked the bear if you will, and I just I struggle to to count them out. I just think they will be back. Uh, to, to their best at some point. Now, whether they will be in too much of a hole to come all the way back remains to be seen, right? Can Arsenal-Liverpool pull away? Well, for, from what I'm seeing now, no, right. because they've struggled as well. So uh, I think you, you have to be fair across the board, right? Liverpool have left it late against Palace and had other unconvincing results. Arsenal also lost to Villa. Uh, they left it late against Luton. So the other two teams aren't uh you know wildly impressive either in terms of you know uh, the title race so uh i wouldn't worry too much about city i think they will get back to the city we we know um it might just it might just take a bit of time because like i said they usually start slow it's the second half of the season where they really tend to kick into gear and and that's that's what i'm expecting because that's what history tells you yeah it is what history tells you and if i was to predict how this season's going to play out and how city would their, the rest of their year is going to play out. I think there's a good chance that they're lingering around fourth, third, maybe even fifth till around January, February time. But once De Bruyne comes back, because he is coming back, once Holland gets fully fit, I think that's when they click into gear. It might be later than it has been in recent years, but I do think there is a world where they just catch, they, they catch fire and they go on this run and injuries might catch up with Arsenal, Liverpool, or Villa, and then all of a sudden they're like four points clear in April. Like that, I think that could happen. I think the De Bruyne injury is massive. I think Rodri, you know, he was out yeah. uh, at in, in midweek. I think he's so huge. So when we talk about injuries, it's almost like we never bring up City because they're so deep. But even at City, there's a hierarchy of importance of players like Holland. Uh, De Bruyne and Rodri are their three best players and then at one point or another they've been without them this year and in recent weeks yeah. they've been without them so I think that's kind of why you can go back and look at why they've been underperformance because these guys just haven't been there um, but like you said you just can't doubt City and you'd be a fool to um, nevertheless I think it's great that at least I feel like at this point last year it was just Arsenal and City whereas now there seem to be some other teams uh, really, you know, amongst it. Um, so we can move on to Man United I want to talk about mm. because it's kind of more of the same. It's this yo-yo, no consistency, big performance, big win against Chelsea, then one of the most embarrassing losses of the post-Fergie era the next weekend. I mean, is this is just what we've come to expect from United? 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. Inconsistency is the word. I, I, I can't quite put my finger on it. I mean, they were... Uh, that performance against Chelsea was exactly what I think United fans would, would want to see, right? Energy. They look like they were up for it. They look like they want to play for this club. And then other games, you look at them, and it's the exact opposite. They're just like, do you even want to be here? And Do you look interested? Like, why? And I think, uh, I forget who it was on Sky. It might have been uh, Roy Keane. Ten Hag should not have to get the players up for playing right. for Manchester United. Like, that should not have to happen. You're playing at Old Trafford in front of thousands and thousands of fans for the biggest club in the country. You shouldn't need galvanizing. This is Man United. I mean, it's it's a privilege to, to play for Man United. So I, I don't understand the inconsistency. I think it's it's so hard. I think player-wise, you know, it's, it's hard to point out, you know, where the problems are because... One week you see guys like Garnacho and Anthony uh, Anthony against Chelsea, uh, who were who were excellent, I thought, and then the next week they don't turn up, and you know maybe it's it's a lack of quality in the final third, but it, it's just so much more than that at United. It's such a complex issue, I think. You know, and and when you look at Ten Hag, they play well in patches, yeah, but that's just not enough. No, they can't put a performance together for ninety minutes. Chelsea was like the one exception, but then Bournemouth at home, you know, I get it. Maybe they're not the ball dominant side yet, but just you gotta have more of a go mm. for me. You gotta you gotta show me more, at least energy at the minimum, and effort and pressing. Just I don't know, try to win the ball back more. Just something. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just. There, there, there is an ingredient missing there, and it, it was there against Chelsea. They, they looked like a team that cared, but in in so many other games and, and parts of games, it's been the complete opposite. It's 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 really really strange. And I, I I'll tell you what I don't think um, Ten Hag is the guy to galvanize players and get them up for Manchester United. Now, like I said, I don't think that should be his job really because yeah. I think you have to. You, you, the players should be doing that on their own. They should be up for playing for Man United every week. But I think that's one thing we've learned is like, you don't know what they're going to get from him, uh, from them. And and Ten Hag is, I, I mean, who knows what he's saying in the dressing room? But it's whatever the message is, it's not getting consistent performances out of the team. I think the question you have to ask when talking about Man United is, is, is if you sack Ten Hag. What happens then? What yeah. manager has the solution to these players who have been underperforming for years? Because Martial and Rashford and McTominay, they've had consistency issues for years. I mean, McGuire was made out to be the scapegoat at the beginning of the season. He just won player of the month. Like, McTominay's popping right. up with goals, but his performances still aren't totally convincing. Bruno hasn't been on it this season. Hoyland seems to, like, care, but he can't score in the in the yeah. league for some reason. Oh, Nana's a whole other story. Rashford. All of a sudden, you're back to DeLoe and Shaw and Rashford. It's like, I hate to single out Marcus Rashford, but when you get that big contract and you are the guy, you are the face of Manchester United, you're the face of one of the biggest clubs in the world— if you just go on runs where you're not only not scoring but just not performing, questions begin to be asked because you don't see these levels just drop with Mohamed Salah or Erling Haaland or Kevin De Bruyne or any of these guys yeah. who are on supposedly the same echelon as Rashford. So 
I think it's a player problem, and we've been going around this carousel of manager and manager and Ragnick and the board and the directors, and it's all changed, but at the end of the day, it's still some mostly the same players on the pitch, and it's the same kind of mentality that isn't there. You talked about the missing ingredient. It is the mentality. It's, it's having standards when you play, also when you train. We know all the issues at the training ground with Sancho and Pogba in recent years. Stuff has been coming out left, right, and center about people showing up late, not showing commitment at training. It's like... What's going on here? This is Manchester. This is Man United we're talking yeah. about. Like, no, but seriously, like, where are the standards? Yeah, exactly. I, I, I don't get it. I honestly, I honestly don't get it because you see, you don't know what you're going to get from them every week. It's, it's, it's different. Uh, it, it seems like I think, I think it, it does come down to player recruitment, and there isn't a, uh, in my opinion, a good structure in place for that. There is no real director of football. Uh, there is no one who is working in tandem with the manager to scout and sign players. It seems like they bring someone in, they give them one or two, three of their guys no matter what, and they say, okay, now now give us something. And you know, and after two seasons, we're, we're back in the same boat where the players are underperforming, the manager is, is you know, being asked questions of, and it's still the same owners and largely the same board in place. So I think we've talked about the ownership. Uh, it needs the, the structure needs changing. And it seems like right now we're all just waiting for Jim Ratcliffe to see what he right. does. And, it, you know, it, we're just going to be looking at our watches saying, all right, Jim, let's, you know, let's see what you got, which is it's just so weird that, that, it's, that it's come to that. And, and I'm, I'm very curious to see what, happen, what yeah. happens because I, I have no idea. Is he going to want his own guy? Is he going to is, is he going to bring in a director of football who's going to take over completely? I mean, I hope so because that's, I mean, if you're a Man United fan, that that's what I would want to see yeah. uh, because they just they don't have a modern structure in place at all. I mean, you can't you can't just say to Ten Hag, I mean, I mean you know, you can't just give him Anthony for that price for me because you you have to. Be smarter than that and say, listen, we can give you someone who's going to give you that output for a much lesser price, and then we can go and buy, you know, X, Y, and Z because we haven't spent, you know, 80 to 100 million, whatever it was. I just think you need – the days are over where Fergie just plucks the best player yeah. from the team below. That's not how it works. Right. And, and Ten Hag – you know, might be a good tactical coach, like maybe. I honestly don't know. I really don't because I see a different thing from his team every week. Um, but, you know, he can't just be bringing in random guys from the Dutch. There has to be a structure yeah. in place because if he goes, you're stuck with all of these guys that he brought in that the next manager isn't going to want, yeah. most likely. And this this goes back to something Jose Mourinho said. He said in like 2017, he said, look at City and the players that are doing it for them. He said, Fernandinho, Aguero, company. And he's like, these weren't players signed in this offseason. These are players signed years ago. He's like, this is football heritage. Like, yeah. And then he goes in to talk about United and he's like, look at the players who just left United. Like, go see where they play, how much they play, if they play. And that's the theme here is that United signings don't develop they don't there is no plan over across no multiple plan. years for a long-term vision that's what city have done so well and united just 
completely failing. Yeah, to no, be no vision. It's it's a shambles. Yeah, uh, from one dumpster fire to another, we're gonna get into Chelsea. I mean, <laughs> there's a vision. I'm not sure it's a good one. I'm not sure it's the most it's an expensive one. It's an expensive vision. Um, it's definitely for the future because it sure yeah. as hell isn't for now. Um, I mean, it's just a bizarre kind of week. They lost to Everton uh, at the weekend. Who'd they lose to midweek? They lost to United, United. midweek. Yep. Uh, it was an awful performance, especially given the way United then played against Bournemouth. It's like United played them off the park, and then United got played off the park by Bournemouth. Yeah, it's so like, strange. what does that say about Chelsea? And it just seems like that Everton game was only going to go one way. Just like those players at Goodison Park, it didn't seem like they had the the fight for it. Yeah, I feel like we're back to where we were with Chelsea and this inexperienced group. However, and I want to get your thoughts on this, yeah. as time goes by, what is the verdict on Pochettino? Because mm. I think at the beginning of the season, everyone was like, you have to give Pochettino time, and I get it. It's not even been half a season, but some tactical questions are beginning to arise. Can you blame him for some of these results, or is it back to Bowley and Co. for this lavish spending on guys who just haven't done it yet? Yeah, I think it's all of the above. I think he gets a free hit this season. I think I think that's fair, honestly, because it's you know I mean we we've talked about Chelsea and the recruitment, but I think you got to stick with him for a season at least and, and see what happens. Um, what I saw from them against Everton was uh, good build-up play. They get to the final third and they just they don't have the quality. They don't have the and, and and you know I think you have to look at Pochettino and say where where are the ideas right because does Sterling just get the ball and try to make something happen uh, kind of seems like Mudrick that's the plan <laughs> and Palmer it's like I, you got to I, I want to see more from them in the final third I think they get to the final third uh, you know everything up to then is 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 fine defensively maybe could be a little better but the build up play in possession they're fine they get to the final third and and they're not good and you know we've talked about them. There aren't a lot of guys who can put the ball in the back of the net in this team. Mudrick, not a good finisher, at least not yet. Jackson, not a good finisher. He'll get you some goals, but he's played less than a full season of football before coming to Chelsea. <laughs> you knew what you were getting into. Yeah. Like, it's, it, why are you surprised? You bought a guy who, you know, has some promise, but is nowhere near the finished article and has hardly played any first-team football, really. Cole Palmer is really the only guy that I'm impressed with in that team. I think every time I watch him, he makes something happen. Again, he's a young player. He doesn't have a huge goal-scoring track record. He never yet. scored a goal in the league before coming to Chelsea. Right. So that's a lot of pressure to put on him. And he's done really well. He's yeah. done really well. He's the only uh, attacking, shining light in this team. I'm not sure why Sterling didn't start against Everton, but you know we know he can make things happen. But again, like Sterling squanders chances from time to time. Like He is not... Uh, he's not that guy for me. I don't, I don't think he is. He wasn't the talisman at City. You know, he he was a he, he was, was a, one of he was a, a valuable uh, contributor to that team, but he he was not the guy. Um, so you know, you have to look at player recruitment a little bit, right? I mean, but also the problem is there there's a disconnect because the fans, you know, they're getting a little restless. They're mid table, which is not where Chelsea want to be, um, and and they're not buying into this vision. And the vision is the future. Uh, whether that future means making a profit on a lot of these players or challenging and turning these players into Chelsea legends remains to be seen. I think there's probably a split on that. I'm sure Bowley and the ownership will say, we're building a team that can compete. Yeah. But people like Rory Jennings, who massive Chelsea fan, 
are, are saying they just want to make money. They yeah. just want to make money on these players. I sort of disagree with that because I don't think you're going to make any money on Caicedo and Enzo. Right. I don't think they go for more than that. Yeah. So I, I struggle to, to buy into that fully. Um, but I think it is right to question the recruitment and the vision and where this club is going because, like you alluded to, the fight isn't there. It's really not. I think the word I would associate with Chelsea or lack well, – Chelsea don't have an identity. That's basically it. I don't think there is a continuity in that dressing room where they're all on the same page under Poch, under the badge of Chelsea that says this is how we're going to play, this is the way we should act, this is – no. They're all inexperienced guys who are trying to do the best they can. Pochettino is trying to patch together this team – with a captain in Reese James who's always injured, with an aging center back, with partner with a young guy, and then two of these just seemingly mercurial talents for a hundred million pounds in midfield, and with exciting, ta- but none of it goes together. It's it's a yeah. puzzle that are, is missing a piece. But it's like the piece isn't in sitting there in the box. The piece is back at the toy store. Like you screwed that piece off when you decided to get all these players in at once and not build slowly. So I think Rory, go back to Rory Jennings. He looks at this team and he says, there's nothing Chelsea about this team, but there's nothing anything about this team. It's just a bunch of players out there who aren't playing for the badge. They're not playing for the manager. They're kind of playing for themselves, but. They're not playing well. They don't have the individual talent to do well enough in the Premier League, and that's why you see them sitting in 12th. So I think that's what it comes down to. There's no identity. There's no character. There's no cohesiveness in this group, and it's a mess. There's no leaders. No. It's the same with United. That's the one uh, one of the common denominators, I think, between those two sides. There is no lead. I mean, listen, Thiago Silva's a legend, but... I think they're lacking... Sp- how much English can Thiago Silva really speak? I, I think mean, they are lacking here. a player... And it's not you need more than one player in in an eleven to galvanize the group and to to frankly just be a leader and an experienced one. I think Gallagher, you know, could he be a Chelsea captain in a few years? Yeah, but you know, again, doesn't have loads and loads of seasons under his belt, right? Uh, especially at Chelsea, was it was last uh, year his first full season? Gallagher, yeah. yes, he's played one full season for Chelsea and is wearing the armband consistently, like. Where are the leaders in the team? Uh, you know, listen, it's a gamble if you're saying, oh, yeah, X, Y, and Z are going to develop into Chelsea legends and leaders and are going to lead us. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I haven't seen it. I just haven't seen the fight mm-hmm. uh, from, from this team. And, yeah, I just think every team needs some level of experience. I'm all for buying young players, but you need someone to bring those guys through. Yeah. It's not just the manager. Right. Yeah. I mean, Chelsea are a total mess. Um, I want to get into our final team of today's talk, your team, Everton. What a week it's been for the boys in blue. Uh, a couple of huge wins over some really solid opposition in Newcastle and Chelsea. Goodison Park turning into the fortress. I think we all thought it would post uh, the points deduction, and there's slowly being a bit of a cushion being built up. You are still 17th, but there's a four-point yeah. cushion between you and Luton, and had it not been for this deduction, you'd be sitting in... 10th place, well, point behind West Ham, just two, three points behind uh, Brighton, which is crazy to think without this point deduction where Everton would be. The players deserve to be there, man. They've been they've been fantastic for us. It's uh, I think all the Everton fans are now bought into Dyke. You know I've been bought in for, for weeks and months now. Um, I love him. I love what he's done to this team. He has changed the mentality, the identity. 
Um, this is this is Everton. Like this is an Everton team that that the Goodison faithful will buy into because it's and it has nothing to do with uh, quality. It, it it has to do with the things that Chelsea and Man United lack. It's exactly. Fight. It's energy. They want to be there and they want to play for this manager and they want to play for this club and that uh, means means more than than anything really. I mean to to the to the fans. They just want to see a team that cares. And you know what you're going to get from this Everton team every week. You know what you're going to get. Maybe they won't have the cutting edge in the final third to get you two or three goals every week. But what they will uh, have is energy, endeavor, pressing. I mean, Decore, I have to mention him again. Just on and off the ball, brilliant. Just doesn't stop running. He, there's a video of him uh, celebrating with the fans after the game. And he's still running. He's still running around. Yeah. He just never runs out of energy. That's an Everton player right there. Jack Harrison brought in, again, not the most technically gifted guy, but does what Deitch wants. He is he's, work, he's rate. work rate, pressing, uh, you know, and, and he has a little bit of quality with that left foot. Same with McNeil. It's just, it's uh, it, it's been really, really positive to see. And that's why the deduction is, is, is even more frustrating because we deserve to be mid-table. The, yeah. the players have been excellent. They've, they've put in shifts week in, week out. Uh, and, and long may it continue. Am, am I a little worried that they that they might run out of steam uh, and and the squad depth might might bite us in the ass? Yeah, a little bit because you know the the recruitment we haven't had um, enough windows under Deitch and and director of football Kevin Thelwell to really build a full squad. And I think that might come back to bite us down the season. But you can't fault what Deitch and this group of players have done. It, it's been it's been exciting to watch. Really, you know it's. It, it's not the most brilliant football, but I don't care. I just you, you want to see a team that uh, that just is is up for it and 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 works hard every single week, no matter who you're playing against. And you know what, we we play we play more direct, uh, and we don't have a ton of possession. But you know, I don't mind a team that looks to play forward first, and that's really all it is. You know, yeah, it's the occasional long ball, but I don't. You know, I don't care if you play out of the back. Yeah. I really don't. So I, I've, I've been really, really pleased. Yeah, I second everything you said. But And just a brief point to touch on. You, you say it's not the best style of football. I actually think, you know, when people hear Sean Dyche, they think yeah. Burnley 4-4-2, hooving it long. A, that's not the way Everton play. No. And B, if you're going to be a team like an Everton or a West Ham who isn't trying to play this progressive style, I much rather prefer the high-intensity pressing energy filled trying to win the ball and, and then counter higher up the pitch that Everton is doing than yeah. my team West Ham when we're basically just sitting back and trying to play on the counter and worried all about nullifying the other team as opposed to focusing on our strength like I look at West Ham and Everton two teams similar quality you know we made a combined 11 it was it was pretty split yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you have two managers who are perceived to be kind of pragmatic not modern but Everton do it in a way that's so much more – it's way better on the eye, first of all. Mm. It seems to be way more effective. And it, it suits Goodison. And one thing about West Ham is the way we're playing at home is like the London Stadium at the best of times isn't a fortress just because of the, the architecture of the stadium. But the way we play is like there's no opportunities for the fans to get into it. At Goodison – Every time you guys win the ball high up the pitch, the fans are into it. Yeah. And the fans are there, and you can hear them, and you feel them. And Goodison is a fortress. Whereas with West Ham, you don't get that because we're just sitting back and, and playing this turgid style of football. So I think on that front, I, I'm not trying to say, like, 
be thankful you have dice because you play this way. But like I, I, I'm, I'm looking at. I see teams that like West Ham who play way worse stuff, yeah. you know, than Dice is Everton, and I think that has to be kind of sp- yeah, spoken I mean, about. I don't think a team needs to play out of the back and play a high line or, and tiki taka whatever to to be enjoyable. That's just I, I, I don't. I think if there's energy and endeavor and you know things like pressing and, and playing forward first, you know, I mean. That, that's exciting to watch yeah. for me. So, All right. Uh, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, this is going to be the last in-studio recording we have for a while. Uh, we're going to try to do an episode over the break, maybe discuss some January transfer news as well as any big results that come through. And then the in-swingers going on tour to London. Be sure to watch out for our TikTok. I think our TikTok is going to have a ton of content of us going to games maybe in the stands. We've already got some tickets booked, so be on the lookout for that. But we're also going to be recording episodes. Uh, I know Harrison's got a mic um, in the process of getting one maybe um, for London. So the content's going to be still coming at you. We'll hopefully get to an episode around this time next week uh, previewing the Jaren transfer window. But until then, uh, thank you for listening.